it's, uh, it's great to be with you all this morning. Um, I was speaking in Antrim Coast uh, Vineyard during the week, and as I was driving down the road, um, the thought that came to my mind was this. How crazy is it that 2,000 years later, we're still meeting to have a conversation about Jesus of Nazareth? How incredible is that? Jesus, who was born in a humble manger, manger, who died a humiliating death on a cross, but yet rose again, and we continue this conversation uh, about him. And we meet together in schools and church buildings and all around the world today uh, to remember him, to learn from him. And as we have a conversation about him, how much even more incredible is it that God is wanting to have a conversation with us? this morning, that God wants to speak to us, that he wants to meet with us uh, through his word. And so I want us to pray uh, together and in praying together, just simply to open our hearts to God as you speak this morning, would you speak words of life uh, into our hearts that we may be people that go out um, and shine light into the darkest corners of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here. Father, we thank you that you are here, that your spirit is here, that we are here because of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for its relevance to us. We thank you that uh, it brings life, it shapes us, it molds us, it transforms us. And so, God, this morning as we, as we press into your word again, God, would you meet with us? God, would you encourage us? God, would we leave here changed by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm not asking for, for out loud answers to this question, um, but I wonder, what's your pet peeve? Like, what's the thing that really, really annoys you? Um, for me, I have two. One is mushrooms, okay? Mushrooms is really high up there. Don't ever feed me mushrooms. My mother-in-law feeds me mushrooms, but she grinds them up really small, like I'm some sort of man-child that will only eat them if I can't see them. But mushrooms is up there. But for me, possibly the one greater than that uh, is awkward moments. I can't stand awkward moments. I never know what to do. Quick show of hands. Anyone hate awkward moments? Yeah, brilliant. Northern Irish through and through. I had an awkward moment about two weeks ago, and I just never know what to do in these moments. Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions this year, remember when we all made those and stopped them like six days later, one that I've managed to, to just about keep going was that I told myself I'd go to the gym one more time per week than I did last year. So instead of going twice a week, try and go three times a week, that's kind of the goal. And so you're sort of grabbing at time, you're trying to just steal time in different little parts of the week. And a couple of weeks ago, I headed to the gym and it was late on, on on Friday, it was just after work and it sort of hit that horrible moment where there's some people finishing up their afternoon workout and some people are coming in after work and the place is just busy. It's just hiving, hiving with people. And so um, as I was getting ready to go, I was in the change room and all the rest and I was just like, oh, I just want to get out of here. I just hate how busy this place is and all the rest. Now, I have one of those tins of deodorant, men in the room will be able to identify with this, that has one of those clicky lock things built into the tin. You have to go click, click. Maybe women's deodorant has that as well, I don't know. But for me, I had to go click, click, turn the deodorant on, and then there's no clear kind of directional arrow on it. Like, I like a tin of links because it kind of has a slant and it goes, go this way. And so I'm rushing to get ready, and I, I click, click, and I grab my deodorant and go, and there's one thing missing. 
And the thing that's missing is that common cloud of antiperspirant that fires around your head whenever you've sprayed your deodorant. And I was like, what, what is going on? And I turned and I looked, and the guy who was sitting on the bench beside me getting changed <laughs> was sitting in this cloud of sure sensitive deodorant. I'd literally just gone to him, and that's all he knew. And I'm standing there going, what do you do? Like, what do you do in this moment? Like, do you own it? Do you just run and hide? Do you? And so I turned around the most awkward conversation I reckon I'm probably ever going to have in my life. Turned to this guy who I've never met and hopefully will never see again because he's hopefully canceled his membership at Pure Gym. But I turned around to him and I was like, mate, I'm really sorry for spraying you in the face with my deodorant. And, and in the coolest, most laid back Northern Irish way, he just went, it's all right. It's all right. As he grabbed his inhaler and but what do we do in, in awkward moments often it's good in an awkward moment to have a character that kind of just steps in and controls the moment um, and we're going to think about a moment uh, in scripture this morning that is an awkward moment and thankfully for the disciples they had their go-to guy for awkward moments and that was Simon Peter uh, anytime there was an awkward moment he had no filter he didn't feel awkwardness he just jumped in so he sees Jesus walking across the water, and he goes, ah, if it's you, I want to come out there. And Jesus goes, come on ahead. This is Simon Peter, who is Jesus, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Simon Peter's just wandering around with a sword, and soldiers come to take him. And Simon Peter just goes, takes off a guy's ear. And Jesus is like, Simon, <laughs> Simon, don't do that. Like, he's just this guy that is constantly stepping in and almost making awkward moments sometimes even more awkward. But yet this moment... Uh, that we're going to think about this morning uh, is not just an awkward moment. It's an incredible moment where the disciples can learn uh, from Jesus. Tom, I'm going to ask you to, oh, we are clicking along. Happy day. Um, if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn to John 13, or if you have an app, flick it open. Uh, John chapter 13 is where we're going to go this morning. Um, and we're going to be thinking a little bit uh, about these famous last words of Jesus. That as Jesus draws towards the, the end of his life, the end of his ministry, we get this glimpse uh, in this conversation that he has, this final kind of full conversation that we have recorded with his disciples, the Last Supper. It's at this moment that Jesus is about to hand on, almost about to hand on the role of, of taking this message to the corners of the world, to this small band of brothers that he's accumulated as followers over uh, the few years. And so as we see this, then we begin uh, to get a glimpse into what uh, is in Jesus' mind as he utters these famous last words. John 13, uh, verse 34. It says this, a new command I give you. I want us to, to stop there. A new command I give you. And it's one of those parts of scripture that's so memorable for us that we almost want to just jump on ahead and, and finish the sentence. We know what comes next. And yet for the disciples uh, in this first moment, this must have been a radical moment. As Jesus gathers the disciples together, as he hosts this meal, and as he reveals, here's the intention behind us, a new command I give you. You can just imagine them pressing in, wanting, waiting to hear what is going to come next. And this word new, it's a, it's a word that doesn't really get fully translated into English. In the, the Greek, we have this sense of it's, it's unusual, it's unexpected. And so you can imagine the disciples are, are waiting. Jesus is almost going, you know that there's 10 commandments in the Old Testament, but here comes number 11. 
You know you've 613 Old Testament laws. Here comes 614. Matthew and John are sitting there, pens at the ready, going, this is important. Make sure we get this one. A new command I give you. And then Jesus utters these words. Love one another. So unbelievably simple. It's so undeniably the way of Jesus. Love one another. And yet if we're honest, it's possibly some of the most difficult words that Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus is telling us that uh, we are to be defined by love. That there's no qualifiers to this. We are simply to be people who love one another. And so uh, I guess my question this morning to myself and to each of us as, as members, as part of Jesus' church is this. What are we known for? What are we known for to our friends, to our colleagues, to our families, to the world? What are we known for? This is more than just uh, about how we worship. This is more than about how we do communion. This is more than uh, at what age we baptize people. This is more about what way we sit, what building we meet in. It's not about how long we teach for. It's simply that challenge to be a community defined by the love of God. That's Jesus' heart for these 12 men sitting in a room, that they would love one another and that they would take that love to the world. We're made for community. We're made to need one another. And in needing one another, then love becomes the defining mark of that community. Uh, I was watching, I don't know, did anyone watch Dynasties when it was on? David Attenborough, everyone needs a bit of David Attenborough in their life. I watched uh, a bit of Dynasties recently with Karis. Karis kind of gets the pre-fall version of Dynasties where we fast forward any death um, of animals and things like that. But we're, we're watching Dynasties and we're watching about these emperor penguins. Um, and there's this incredible, incredible moment where the, the mummy penguins, they bring the egg and they hand it over to the dads and the, the mums go away to fish because let's be honest, men are rubbish at fishing. Uh, and so all of the dad penguins, they then start to form this, this huddle and they start to group together and they start to press in amongst one another. And there's, there's two reasons uh, for this. One is they simply need to survive. They need to survive the coldest part of winter, but they also need to thrive. They've been given this incredible new life, this life that is hopefully going to burst forth at some stage. And so they gather together, and together they, they insulate one another, and they move around, and everyone takes their turn on the middle, and everyone takes their turn on the outside. And I'm watching this going, wow, what an incredible picture of, of what we should be as the church. Uh, and I'm sitting watching this a couple of weeks ago with Karis, and she chips in with her own four-year-old wisdom. She goes, it's like they're playing the farmer once a wife. <laughs> and everyone wants to be the farmer. And now I think that that should be a red button option on Dynasty's Karis commentary done by David Attenborough. That would be amazing. Here we have the emperor penguins playing the farmer once a wife. And um, that would just be... I would watch it. I would watch it again and again and again. But it's this incredible picture. And yet we're told simply that we are to be people who love one another, that we need each other to survive and to thrive in this world. And so as Jesus gathers together his disciples, he gives them this command. And I'm sure for them at that point, the question rolling around in their head was the same as the question that maybe rolls around in ours this morning. So how do we do it? How do we love one another? 
And Jesus gives him an incredible insight into this. Just a couple of chapters later, he echoes these words again. He reiterates this call of the kingdom to be people defined by love. In John 15, 90, 11, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus tells us that this love, it, it stems from relationship. That as Jesus spent time with his father, then the overflow of that relationship was the love onto the disciples. He gives us this great picture. And so for us, first and foremost, if we're to be people who truly love one another, we press into our relationship with brother. If we're honest, we can love one another well if it's people that we like. Um, but we really need God's help to do this for everyone. If we're to truly love one another, it comes from that overflow. The story of scripture is how God brings us from death to life. And the, the bridge from death to life is love. That's how God brought us back into the story. That's how he brought us back into the family through Jesus. This ultimate display of love. And John goes on, he says in 1 John three fourteen, he says, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. And so a life truly transformed is a life that is marked by love. And the Pharisees, they were experts in keeping the law. If you needed boxes ticked, the Pharisees were the, the guys to do that. Those 613 laws, no problem. We've got those down. And yet Jesus' issue with them was that they had they'd substituted the relationship and they traded it in for religion. It was empty, it was hollow, it didn't have connection with the Father. And so for us, if we are to be people who truly love one another, it stems from that time with Jesus. As we've been thinking about over and over again in this series, that getting away, that stepping back, that spending time with the Father, that being ministered to by the Spirit, and receiving the love that is given to us in Jesus. That's what we're called to do, first and foremost, if we're truly to be people who love one another. But as well as that, uh, we're to be people who grow together. That we, as we gather, that we, we learn from each other and we grow into this life that, that God has for us. That we're not meant to try and figure that out on our own. Yes, there's many parts to be played in what God is doing in the world, but we need each other. And so together uh, we thrive. John 13, where we were, let's go back uh, to verse 3. And, and this is this awkward moment that I mentioned before. This is this moment where we get an incredible glimpse uh, into what love looks like. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, and not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand 
what I've done for you, he asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's an incredible, incredible moment. The awkwardness of that moment must have been been hanging in the air. And an era of, of Pax Romana, an era of Roman peace, where roads were being built across the empire. Uh, people were able to travel around, but as you traveled around, you got dust and dirt and grime in and amongst your feet. And then when you were invited to a meal, you would recline at the table, your feet pointing out. And so to, to get rid of the smell and to give a bit of dignity, what you would do is you would find someone to, to wash people's feet. And often that role in a, in a meal such as this would have been given to some form of servant or slave if they were there. Often, if you had a Jewish slave and a Gentile slave, you would have given the role to the Gentile slave. This was a job that was the lowest of the low. If you were asked to wash feet, you were on the bottom rung of the ladder. And yet in Jesus, we find that authority wears an equal. That Jesus steps into this moment. He takes off his outer garment. He ties a towel around himself. And he begins to serve. This is Jesus who sat on a throne in heaven, served by angels, stepping down to walk on the earth, to walk in humility, to come and to gather together this band of followers to try and teach them and encourage them before they would eventually go on and take this mission before he's about to go to the cross and die. And yet what does he do in the midst of this moment? He takes a towel and a basin, gets down on the floor and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, and then in steps Simon Peter to break the air of awkwardness that exists in this moment. And so he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus explains to him, no, I have to do this. And then he almost tries to control Jesus, and he says, well, actually, if you're going to do that, then give me a full bath. And Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about. There's a lesson to be learned here that love is best expressed in sacrificial service, and getting down on the ground, getting a bowl, and washing the disciples' feet. Jesus uh, puts this lesson into practice. He shows the disciples what love looks like. And so for us, uh, we're to be people who follow that example. And the scriptures, time and time again, we get these examples echo to us, the sense of, of putting one another first, the sense of serving one another, that we forgive, that we accept, that we care for, that we encourage, that we submit to one another, that it's this focus on others that we're called to put into practice. The thing that captured the world's imagination was that Jesus' disciples loved one another, that they served one another, that they put others' needs ahead of their own. This was the transformational message of the kingdom. This was a message, this was a command that was so revolutionary in Jesus' day and should be completely revolutionary in how we view the church still today. That we think of one another as more important than ourselves. That we take that humble position, that opportunity to serve and to love one another. And when we do that, I believe that we find that love speaks loudest. Jesus said in John 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples 
you love one another. The hallmark of the kingdom, the signature of Jesus to be expressed in the life of the disciples is their love for God and for one another. And that love extends beyond just the community of faith. And we see that in this passage. It's staring us right in the eyes that this love knows no limits. We know that because the full 12 are there. The whole band of brothers has been invited to this meal. And in and amongst that moment, Jesus knows that Judas is planning and plotting against them. He's sitting around the table. He's still invited to the meal, even though his motives haven't been exposed to the whole group yet. Jesus knows his heart. And in that moment, Jesus has an apron on, a bowl of water, and he washes Judas' feet. I struggle to wrap my head around that. Knowing that this relationship is going to be sold out for a couple of hundred pounds worth of silver. That you're going to be betrayed by someone who has had a ringside seat to the, the lesson of love that you have been teaching the disciples and showing the disciples for years. And yet in this moment, Jesus humbly chooses to show that this message of love is for everyone. That we love our neighbors, that we love our enemies, that this message of love is to go to every single corner of the world. That no one is beyond this message of love. We can't control how people uh, respond to the message, but we can definitely control who we show God's love to. And yet our instruction is to, to serve one another, to love one another, and to serve God by showing that love uh, to the world. And I want to share with you just uh, two stories uh, very briefly uh, of how, I guess, I've seen that in action over the last year or so um, in conversation. And uh, this time last year, almost to the day, I was sitting uh, in Nepal. I was in the Kairang Valley, which is probably one of the mo remotest parts of the planet that I've ever been on. Uh, this is Krishnamaya fishing in a river uh, just down from her house. And to give you an idea of just how remote this place is, to get from Krishnamaya's front door uh, to the nearest road, is an eight-hour walk on a good day. <laughs> in the rainy season, two to three days as you go up and over uh, the mountains to get back to civilization. And so for Krishnamaya and for kids like her, they go and they, they fish a little in the river and they grow potatoes in the dry season, they grow rice in the rainy season. This is a difficult, difficult place to live. Um, and about this time last year, I sat uh, with this little guy here. This is Samuel. And I sat in his house. Uh, he lives in this incredible, incredible part of the world. The Kairang Valley is stunningly beautiful. It's surrounded by these enormous mountains. And yet right through the middle of the valley uh, runs this river. And the river really does divide people in two. On one side of the river, you have the slightly richer uh, families who live on the side where the land's a bit better, where it's a bit flatter, where the sun shines more. And yet on the other side, you have the poorer families, families uh, like Samuel's who live on the steepest parts of the ground right up uh, towards the ridge, a scramble to get up uh, to their house. And for Samuel, a few years ago, uh, disaster struck, struck the whole country of Nepal in this massive earthquake. Um, and we had this incredible opportunity to then show God's love in action. And so we raised some money here in the UK and we sent it over to our staff in Nepal and they went and they rebuilt 180 homes for families who had lost everything, for families who were trying to make it by with very little to rebuild, we were able to give them uh, a lifeline. Samuel's water used to be the purest water probably on the planet. Uh, it came from a natural spring that bubbled out of the mountain that came through the tap that you just saw, and yet uh, the earthquake displaced that natural spring, sending the water off some other part 
of the valley. And so every day, Samuel goes from the ridge to the river and from the river to the ridge to get water, a journey that takes about an hour to do. Unbelievably hard work. Um, But perhaps for Samuel, the biggest challenge was this. He had never, ever, ever had a chance to get an education. His family is just too poor, and the local school wouldn't accept him because of that. And so in the midst of this, we came up with this ridiculous idea of could we build a school in the middle of the mountains? And so in February last year, I went and and got to set eyes on this place for the first time. Uh, A school opened for 75 of the poorest kids in the Kairang Valley, and Samuel being one of them. And we simply go and we show God's love in action, supporting, caring for, and driving people towards the unrelenting love of Jesus. And so as Samuel comes and as he gets an education and as he hears the stories of Jesus, as he gets food, as he gets looked after, as he gets clothing, he gets to experience this love of God. We go and we take this message to the world. We show it in our actions. I love that Jesus, before he gave the command, he gave the example that he sat down and he washed the disciples' feet and then he said, a new command I give you, love one another. One of the girls that I met in Nepal last year, she said this, a little girl called Rini, she's 16 now, she said, just because you're poor doesn't mean you'll be insignificant. I love that, that sense of people being seen, that as we go out into a world where people have so many things going on, so many struggles, so many things that may happen behind closed doors that we could never understand or know, or they feel that life is just insignificant, we know that there's a God who loves them, who pursues them, And we as a church get this opportunity to go and to serve God by shining this love into the world. For me, a a conversation that I had during the course of last year uh, really brought this idea that love speaks loudest to me. Uh, I was chatting with with David Spurtle, who started Stand By Me, the organization I work for, and uh, he told us about this little girl, the little girl that you just about see on the right is Grace, who many of you will know. If you've been to Ethiopia, you've met her. Uh, the girl on the left is a, a little girl called Aribe. And David described to me the first time that he met Aribe. The first time he set eyes on her was on a, on a laptop screen in a computer in Essex. A photograph had been emailed through, and Aribe had this massive football-sized lump on her shoulder. Um, told that it was most likely cancerous and could we look after it. Not one of our Stand By Me kids, but could we do something? And so we said, of course we could. And so we got her to Acela Hospital and from there on to Addis, where she had an operation. Ultimately, she had to to lose that arm, but was given the all clear, cancer-free, brought home to her mum to be looked after and cared for. And then her mum asked, could she join our home to receive the care, the attention that she needs? And, And we said, of course. And then a few years after that, uh, things took a turn for the worse. We heard that cancer was back and Aribe was sent to go and get tests done and essentially word came back that it was hopeless. Um, And David wrote these words uh, shortly after um, they heard that news. He says, so how is it today? I'm standing on a beautiful Ethiopian hillside. Before me, 250 of Aribe's fellow students, her teachers and over 300 Muslim men from her village and surrounding neighborhoods. Alongside me is a freshly dug mound of earth, a light blue duvet that had been used as a shroud and a lone wreath bearing a photograph of Aribe's beautiful face. Just eight hours earlier, in the early hours of the morning, little Aribe had slept her way peacefully into eternity, 
and was now safe in the arms of Jesus. As the tears rolled freely down my cheeks, I'm aware of hundreds of pairs of eyes fixed on me and the voice of the chief Muslim elder saying, I want you to speak to the people. But why, I asked. His reply, because we have never, ever seen love like this. The signature of Jesus, the hallmark of the church, should be that in the midst of a broken world, that we are people who love God, that we love one another, and that we take this message of love to every corner of the planet. That in the midst of any hardship, we point to an incredible hope that we have in Jesus, to a healing that we have in Jesus, to the love that we find in Jesus. And as we go, it's love that pushes people towards the conversation. That as people simply witness the love of God in action, they wanted to know why, and it unlocks the conversation. Love should be the driving force in the church. I think sometimes we, we get the impression that it's almost more noble to cross the oceans than it is to cross the street. And yet we're called to take this message of love and grace and hope from the neighborhoods to the nations. And so for each one of us, our lives are called to be defined by love. Love for God, love for one another, love for the world. And as we do that, our eyes are opened to the needs, but also the opportunities all around us to be people who point to the greatest message, the greatest story ever told of Jesus born humbly, dying in humiliation, but rising again, bringing us life to that bridge of life. Father, we thank you that this whole message of scripture is of a God who loves us. Father, that as we read your word, we realize that every movement that you've made in the, the history of the world has been towards sending Jesus this incredible example of love and humility. God, we thank you that we get these glimpses into those moments of love in action as you show firsthand the disciples what it means to truly love one another, to not think of ourselves as better, but to take on the role of a servant, to get down on our, on our hands and knees and to wash another's feet. God, we thank you that you have lavished that love on us. And God, as we press into that, God, that the thing that defines us as church, the thing that we become known for, is that we love you and we love one another. And God, as we show that love to the world, God, that it, it drives the conversation towards Jesus, the perfect example of love. So God, would you take us from here uh, with eyes open, with hearts ready, uh, to go and to show that love to others, be they on the other side of the street or the other side of the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.